Good morning, my name is Sean. Again, I'm the lead pastor here, and if you're one of our guests here today, we're so glad you're with us. If you'd like to find out more about our church or perhaps meet with one of the staff people to talk about Jesus or anything you want to talk about, you can scan this QR code right here, and that connects you to the staff, and we will respond to that, and we would love to sit down and talk with you. Um, we'll be continuing our journey this morning through the book of Micah. Today's passage is found on page 10 in your order of service there, and it's found on page 729 in that chair Bible there in front of you. And if you don't have a Bible, please take that one with you as our gift. We would love for you to have that. Again, when we get to it, we'll be in page 729 in that chair Bible uh, there. So we're walking, like I said, through the book of Micah, and it's a hard book. It is a book talking to those inside, not talking to those outside. These are those who are in a covenant relationship with God. He's coming to his own people with a do-better talk, so to speak. He is not standing out on the street corner talking to those who don't know God, telling them to do better. He's telling God's people to do better. And because it's a hard passage, what I want to do is I want to actually fast forward a hundred years after Micah to another prophet who is more famous the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah is arrested in his lifetime for preaching that the temple in Jerusalem will be destroyed, that Jerusalem will be destroyed because of the people's sin and unfaithfulness. In Jeremiah's time, the priests and the false prophets actually have him arrested and they take him to court. And it's the government officials, not the religious officials, who refuse to execute him. And I want to pick up on the story by looking at Jeremiah chapter 26, verses 16 through 18. It says this, Then the officials and and all the people said to the priests and the prophets, This man does not deserve the sentence of death, for he has spoken to us in the name of the Lord our God. And certain of the elders of the land arose and spoke to all the assembled people, saying, Micah of Morsheth prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah, and said to all the people of Judah, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Zion shall be plowed as a field, Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the house a wooded height. So in defending Jerusalem, or uh, Jeremiah, excuse me, they quote from Micah a hundred years previously. And I'm taking us there because we are going to be in a really dark text today, but a century later there's still a nation. There's still a Jerusalem. There's still a temple. Because see, Micah calls out systemic issues in God's people. God's covenant people go through the motions of worship, but then they ignore His instructions for daily life. They treat God more as a mascot than as a Lord. Instead of the beautiful community envisioned for Israel, a reflection of God's character on earth, they rob and they cheat each other. The powerful destroy the powerless. There's no justice And so God promises destruction if they don't repent. But we know from Jeremiah a century later that they do, that his preaching works and that there is still a Jerusalem. So keep that hope in mind as we walk through this dark text in a moment because Micah speaks judgment in the hope that people will repent. 
So with that, would you turn with me now to Micah chapter 3. We're going to look at the whole chapter. It's on page 10 in your order of service, page 729 in that chair Bible there. And I said, hear you heads of Jacob and you rulers of the house of Israel. Is it not for you to know justice? You who hate the good and love the evil, who tear the skin off of my people and their flesh from off their bones, who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron? Well, then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time because they have made their deeds evil. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against him who puts nothing in their mouths. Therefore it shall be night to you without vision and darkness to you without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets and the day shall be black over them. The seers shall be disgraced and the diviners put to shame. They shall all cover their lips for there is no answer from God. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob, you rulers of the house of Israel who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins and the mountains of the house a wooded height. This is God's Word. Let's pray together. How gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come before Your Word today, a hard, harsh Word, we pray, Lord, that You would give us repentance that you would help us to see our evil before you, your holiness, your justice, your grace, and your mercy, and that we would flee to you. Lord, open this text up to us. Help us where we seek to resist it, that we might see you as you truly are. We pray this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to jump right into the theme for today where we're going to kind of orbit around to understand this chapter, and that's this. When those who know better do the unthinkable, God responds with the unimaginable. When those who know better do the unthinkable, God responds with the unimaginable. God wants justice known and practiced in His people, and so He shuts them down when they perform injustice. So we jump right in. The first thing he talks to is he talks to justice knowers, and he gives them a word of abandonment. 
He's addressing the executive leadership of the nation at the very beginning, those who are responsible for justice. Just like in our system, the king, is the executive is sort of in charge of appointing and upholding the judiciary system. He is responsible for this. Micah says heads and rulers instead of the word king, probably because he's trying to honor the current king, Hezekiah, who does repent who does make these changes. So his system is bad, but he wants to single out this king as here is one who did repent and reform after this preaching. If you were here a couple weeks ago when Donnie covered how the rich in the nation were grabbing up the land of the poor, all of that theft was given legal sanction by these judges. They put their stamp of approval and made it official. So Micah asks these judges, is it not for you to know justice? Is it not your responsibility to ensure justice? See, per the Old Testament and the New Testament, God establishes governments for justice. They're supposed to hate evil. They're supposed to love good. But Micah says these leaders do what? They hate the good and they love the evil. He uses vivid, shocking imagery here to capture what they do. Did you catch all that? They hate, they tear, they eat, they flay, they chop. He likens their treatment of the poor to cannibalism. I wanted y'all to catch this, so here's how we put it for the boys and girls. Let's look at their verse 2 and 3. Here's what Micah says. He says, but you hate goodness and love evil. Instead of serving God's people, you chop them up like meat, cook them up into a stew, and eat them. Shocking, perverse imagery. Micah is taxing the Hebrew language, trying to get them to see how much God hates this kind of oppression and injustice. Eating or consuming is a common biblical picture of oppression. Think about that famous verse in the New Testament. It talks about Satan. Satan roams around like a roaring lion, seeking what? Seeking whom he may devour. So what he's saying here is that the leadership of God's nation was satanic, because it was oppressing the poor and the powerless. Even worse, in verse 4, when these horrible satanic leaders have personal troubles, what do they do? They immediately turn to God for help, the God they've spurned. But He will not answer them. They act as if God doesn't exist in their daily life, but when something happens, He's the genie. They rub the lamp, hey, I need your help here. In Old Testament worship, they ended their service with a benediction. That's why we end our service with a, with a benediction as well. And the ironic blessing, the last phrase of that was, May the Lord lift His face upon you and give you peace. And here in verse 4, Micah pronounces the reversal of that. The Lord will hide His face from you when they call on Him because their deeds are evil. Oh, we are all about grace here at Sycamore because the Bible is all about grace. But the grace of God is predicated on the holiness of God, the moral purity of God. Grace is not just that He overlooks evil with a grandfatherly all shucks. 
No, for those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus, we recognize that we are in Jesus and forgiven because Jesus paid for that sin, our evil he took on himself, and it humbles us. And so when we fall into patterns of sin as believers, when we fall into rebellion, when we fall into idolatry, Part of God's deliverance of us is He makes us feel His absence. We don't feel as close to Him when we are living in active rebellion. He turns His face away so we might miss Him. Long for His presence again. For those who know Him, God's felt absence actually empowers our repentance. That's what he's doing for his people here. Because when those who know him do the unthinkable, God responds with the unimaginable. The next we see here is to justice speakers. God will bring silence, starting in verse 5. So Micah now addresses false prophets, those who he says, lead my people astray. These are the preachers of the Old Testament. They're supposed to speak truth to power. They're supposed to bring the truth of God to bear in the lives of God's people. And what are these prophets, these preachers doing? These prophets are in it for the lifestyle, for the prestige. Give them something to eat, you get an uplifting sermon. God loves everything about you. But if you don't give them anything to eat, you get fire, damnation. In case you're curious, I had a good breakfast, we're fine Here's how one scholar put it. He said, for a meal you get God bless you. And without a meal you get God damn you. And here's what's truly evil. These are the ones who are supposed to castigate the rich who are robbing the poor. But instead, they're applauding these rich robbers. God bless you. Pass the mashed potatoes. These prophets were supposed to defend and encourage the poor. Instead, they were cursing them in God's name. Well, perhaps if you were more obedient, God wouldn't have taken your land away and give it to this nice, upstanding citizen. So God responds in verse 6 through 7, He will utterly cut them off. Whatever source of supernatural revelation they use, and did you catch the references to divination? It's those that are allowed and those that are prohibited that they used. He said, doesn't matter you are cut off in such a way that it will be obvious to everyone. You'll be disgraced. You'll be shamed. Boys and girls, this is getting kind of heavy, I know, so I want to make sure you're still with me. Let's look at your verse 7. Here's what he's saying here. He's saying, no one will trust you anymore to these false prophets, and you will be ashamed of yourself when everyone sees that God has never spoken to you. You see, boys and girls, God doesn't put up with his people being picked on. He takes care of it. He silences those. You can trust him to take care of you too. And we see that here in verse 8. God does not leave his people without a word. Micah is there. God has at least one true prophet left. The false prophets fill their bellies, but God's prophets are filled with His Spirit and with power. Everything in verse 5 the false prophets didn't do, Micah does. God's prophets battle for truth. They point out sin so that people can be saved. If you don't know you're in peril, if you're told everything's fine, you won't grasp on to rescue when it's offered, will you? 
Since God's Spirit is full of justice and might, God's prophets declare God's power towards injustice. They point out rebellion. They point out sin that they might repent and escape this destruction. Oh, dear Christian, have you ever felt like God was opposing you? That he, he just seems to be thwarting your plans? That maybe he's against you, it almost seems? Perhaps he's trying to save you from an idol. Perhaps that habitual sin that is making you miserable, he's trying to help you kill, but you just won't let it go. So he thwarts you. Perhaps God is opposing you to set you free. And when that happens, instead of ignoring our guilt by plying on more entertainments, right, let, let that conviction lead us into repentance. Oh, Christian, take your struggles to Jesus, the friend of sinners, and find again forgiveness and acceptance and embrace. It almost sounds too good to be true, right? But when those who know better do the unthinkable, God responds with the unimaginable. And here at the end, he speaks now to justice builders, and he brings them a word of foreclosure. So starting in verse 9, he's back to the rulers, he's back to the leaders from verse 1, but with a focus specifically on the city of Jerusalem. Whenever you see the word Zion, that's a poetic and religious reference to the city of Jerusalem. So he says, these leaders hate justice, they pervert anything right and good. In verse 10, he says, Jerusalem's current prosperity is built on murder and it's built on evil. So having looked at the king without saying the word king, and having looked at the prophets, now Micah turns to the priests. In verse 11, we have all three kinds of leadership in ancient Israel. We have the kings, we have the priests, we have the prophets, and they all bad. The leaders judge for bribes. The priests teach for reward. The prophets speak for money. And when you hear the priests teaching, don't just think like information exchange. That was part of it. But the main job of the priest was the daily in and out activity of worship and mediation and atonement. Doing the various offerings, the various sacrifices where God said, this building, this temple is my presence. This is where I meet you and this is how I meet you. And the priests were in charge of bringing God and the people together in worship. So when the priests were doing this, it wasn't this that they weren't teaching well. It's that they were denying forgiveness, relationship. We could even maybe say atonement. To the poor in the land. The land-grabbing people got their offerings put to the front of the line with no problem. These priests, though, when it came to the poor, those actually stolen from, the priests just never really got around to taking care of their worship. They should have known better. They should have done better. And the priests Evil is even more that in that dereliction of duty, verse 11 tells us that they too lean on the Lord, yet they lean on the Lord in their troubles, in their fears, reassuring themselves that God is on their side. They presume upon the external rights. Yes, I can completely ignore 
what he says the rest of the day of the week because I am super faithful on the Sabbath. I do exactly what God says, therefore he owes me. I am ceremonially faithful. I have my rabbit's foot. I have my qualified immunity. God is on my side. They rest in his promises of blessing while ignoring his promises of cursing for their disobedience. See, and since God despises hypocrisy more than we do, he comes to all that leadership with a therefore. Look with me at verse 12. What does he tell them? Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins and the mountain of the house a wooded height. I don't want you to miss this imagery. It's so intense. I, I want you to look at the kids, verse 12, with me. Here's how I put it for them. It says this, Because of people like you, our city will burn to the ground. It will be turned back into farmland. Instead of a big, beautiful temple, you will see only trees and rocks. As bad as the destruction of Jerusalem is, the end of their civilization, the end of their way of life, the deeper warning and destruction is God singling out the temple. God is basically saying, oh, okay, leadership, you've denied my worship and my presence and my forgiveness and my, even my atonement to the poor of the land. You've blocked them from coming and doing the things I said to do in the temple. Fine, I'll get rid of it for all of you. The temple will be destroyed. The only mediator between God and man on the planet at that time will be gone. He will cut them off from his presence. Because when those who know better do the unthinkable, God responds with the unimaginable. I told you it's a hard text. I told you it's a harsh text. So as we wrap this up, though, let me assure you the story doesn't end there. We started with Jeremiah 100 years in the future from this, so let's go back to the future <laughs> after 100 years after Micah's ministry. Back to Jeremiah, and I want to pick up the rest of the story from Jeremiah 26. It says this, Did Hezekiah, king of Judah, and all Judah put him to death, meaning Micah? Did, did he, meaning Hezekiah, not fear the Lord and entreat the favor of the Lord? And did not the Lord relent of the disaster he had pronounced against them? All this harsh judgment that Micah brought, it worked. The king in Jerusalem actually heard, actually repented, and actually instituted reform. He reformed the prophets. He brought reformation to the priests. He brought reformation to the judiciary. The Assyrian army, we know from history, we know from Scripture, we know from archaeology, they marched all the way into Ju uh, Judah. They surrounded Jerusalem. They besieged the city. And then in one of the great mysteries of history... They just left. No battle. They weren't defeated. They just walked away, went back to Nineveh. The book of 2 Kings tells us it's because King Hezekiah led the nation in repentance, begging the Lord for forgiveness and salvation, and the Lord answered. His judgment was postponed for over a century until Babylon came destroying Jerusalem, burning the temple to the ground, fulfilling Micah 3.12. So see, at the end of this passage, you should have like a little bit of hope, but you also should be like, man, that's rough. 
and just longing for something better than that, right? Better priests to lead God's people faithfully. Better prophets to give God's people the real truth and better kings to lead righteously. And to our hearts longing for something better, the Bible offers us the unimaginable. In the gospel, we see that Jesus Christ is the great prophet, priest, and king that the Old Testament longs for. As King Jesus subdues sin and death, He rules and defends us. As prophet Jesus reveals the will of God for our salvation to us, and as priest Jesus Christ actually offers Himself as the ultimate one and only sacrifice for the sins of His people. See, it is in the ministry of Jesus, His living the life that God deserves from us. And it's dying the death that God demands of us that we see the holiness and mercy of God meet. When we confess Jesus as the resurrected Lord, we're united to Him by faith. We're forgiven. We're counted as holy in God's sight. And we are given the Spirit to be empowered to then live obediently to His demands. Receiving forgiveness for our many failures. Now see, before God We are all the poor in need of a better class of rich. So it's the first weekend in February. The resolutions you're still doing are the ones you're probably going to keep doing. I hope memorizing Scripture is is one of them. I would recommend to you 2 Corinthians 8, 9. It's a great verse. It says this. It says, Though you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you, through His poverty, might become rich. See, Jesus is the better class of rich who instead of stealing from the poor, he gives of himself to make them rich with him. That's the gospel. It's unimaginable. But when you put your faith and trust in Jesus as the resurrected Lord, you get this unimaginable gospel. Now, don't you want this? Then repent and believe this gospel. Let's pray together. Now, gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for Your hard words. We thank You, Lord, when You disrupt our calm and bring us conviction. And Lord, I pray for those of us here who know You, who are united to You by faith, that You would help us to put our defenses down, to not deflect conviction, but instead absorb it repent and turn yet again in faith and trust to Jesus. Lord, I pray for those here today who don't know you. I pray that they would feel the transcendent power of your holiness, the weight of their guilt before you, and the beauty of the grace of Jesus and the gospel, that they would embrace him by faith. Lord, would you do your work of salvation even in these moments, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.